Let's pray. Lord God, here we are, and I think the river has come to us in the form of rain. But we are here, oh God. We need you in our lives. Open us now to hear the words of your Holy Spirit speaking to each one of us. May the words of our lips, the meditations of all of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. On April 26, 1945, my grandparents, Paul and Joy Pfeiffer, got the telegram that every family in the United States dreaded during the Second World War. Their son, Paul, who was 21 years old, who had been married for three weeks, was missing at sea. He was an ensign in the Navy Air Corps. He was a pilot training for what everybody thought was the imminent invasion of Japan. He was stationed in San Diego, and on that day, he had been flying a fighter. And it was hit by a bomber as it came out of the clouds in a mock dogfight. The bomber made it back to the base, but my Uncle Paul's plane fell out of the sky and into the bay. Neither the plane nor my uncle's body was ever recovered. My uncle's death created a, a gaping hole in the life of the extended Pfeiffer family. He was only 22 months older than my father, and he was my father's closest friend. One of my earliest memories of a, as a child, and I'm, I've got to say that the list today has, has made me remember this even more strongly, is uh, this early, early memory of flowers on the altar being there because my parents had put something in the bulletin on the anniversary of Paul's death. I remember Dad showing me the words. I was too little to read and, and lining them out for me and telling me what had happened. Explaining what those flowers meant to my family. I grew up with my father telling uh, wonderful stories about their adventures together on the family farm in Kansas. They had a pony. They hunted rabbits together. They milked many, many, many cows. They had a family dairy farm. They worked hard. They played hard. They played pranks on each other. I, I grew up in Washington, D.C., but with visions of what farm life in Kansas in the 1930s must have looked like. Paul's life was cut short, but his life continues to be honored by those of us in the extended Pfeiffer tribe. He has great nephews who are named after him. And his three brothers told Paul's stories to their children, their grandchildren, and their great-grandchildren. The last big thing my father did before he died was to write down the stories of his life with his brother in a series of children's books that we have, my parents have given to all of the uh, great nieces and nephews called Billy's Stories. But today, on Memorial Day, we pause for a moment, don't we? And we remember. 
And what we really remember today is the cost of war. We remember the depths of loss and the grief of war. I never knew my Uncle Paul, but I've grieved his death my whole life because I love the people that he loved. Today, we remember that beautiful young lives are cut off. They're destroyed because of hatred. We remember the stories of those who have died. We're thankful for their lives. We grieve. We remember. Every single one of us here has been touched by the destruction of war, whether or not we realize it. The people we never got to meet, the families that were never constructed, the inventions that were never made, the teachers we never had, the pastors we never knew, on and on and on the list of loss goes. There is a terrible cost to any war. And so today, a more fitting way to remember is to just pause for a moment, to grieve. But I don't believe that we stop there. Jesus took a moment, he paused on his last journey into Jerusalem. If you come into Jerusalem from the east, you go up a very long hill, and when you reach the top, there is Jerusalem down below. And when he was on the top of that, that, those great hills, he, he looked down, and we're told that Jesus wept. He took a moment, and he looked out on the city, and he said, if only you had recognized the things that make for peace. Jesus had a terrible gift. It is a gift I've long thought about and I would never want to have it. Jesus had the capacity to understand the consequences of actions that people take together. And he had a vision that extended out way into the future. He could visualize the coming destruction of Jerusalem long before anybody else in the world did. And he recognized that the making of peace, that act of work for peace, is the only way, would have been the only way to prevent the annihilation of his people. It's a simple equation. If we don't want war, we work for peace. Peace doesn't happen by magic. It is something that we work for actively every day of our lives, in our homes, in our communities, in our country, in our world. It is truly a work of life or death, and all of us have to be involved in it together. It is something for every single one of us here. Because this is the thing, peace doesn't happen by chance. Peace is the result of a decision, a series of decisions, a joint decision by a group of people. 
I know it begins in our homes, but it extends into the world. And peace is actually possible when we work hard at being in relationships, when we listen to each other, when we recognize the needs and the desires of a variety of people and groups, and when we figure out how to create an environment where everyone is able to express what they need and some of what they want. And none of that is easy. We have an almost 14-month-old granddaughter. And have you noticed every time that there is a baby in your family, it's like you're learning things all over again? She's our seventh grandchild, and I'm still amazed at how quickly infants know what they want, and they tell you what they want. She has three or four words, and she uses them very well, and she doesn't really need words to let us know what she thinks she needs. All through life, at every single age, there is a process that we go through, we continue to learn, of understanding what we need and want, of how we should express it, and what, how we negotiate to get it. And the family, of course, is the first place where we begin to do that. We begin to learn to make peace with our siblings, with our cousins, with our parents. And it's the adults in a family, the parents, the grandparents, the aunts, the uncles, older cousins, who model what peacemaking looks like on a daily basis. The kids see it, they learn it, don't they? From the way that we negotiate differences of opinions, the ways we listen to each other or not, the way that we respect each person in a family. All of these things form an internal picture that we develop about what life looks like and what peace would be. And it takes a lot of energy <laughs> on the part of adults to help children to develop listening and discerning skills that they're going to need in life. We're in the middle of doing that, especially with John's three grandkids that you see here almost every Sunday. And it's exhausting, friends. <laughs> going back and doing that on a day-to-day -day basis, my goodness because it takes kids a long time to understand why it's important to share with others, why it's important to care that somebody else gets something also. We were talking in, in staff meeting about making peace the other day, and, and Loretta Brandon shared something with me that I, I want to just pass on. It's uh, from her experience at Cher Emmeth when she was a preschool teacher there. And one of the teachers in the preschool had developed a, a, a place in her classroom she, that she called the peace table. And it was a place that a, a, a teacher could take children that were having a hard time getting along with each other, or the children could go by themselves when a dispute broke out. They would go to the table, and when the child wanted to say something, he or she would put a hand on the table and then express what the child needed to say. The child could express a grievance or, or why his or her feelings were hurt or why he or she did something. And then the other child would put a hand on the table and, and say what that child needed to say. Both children, or I suppose a group of children that were in a dispute, could all share their perspectives as they sat around the table 
and together would come up with a way to solve the dispute. Now each year, the peace table began as a place where the teachers would take children to work things out. But as the children learned what happened at the table, they would begin to initiate the process themselves. If there was an argument about a toy or whose place it was in the line or, or some other kind of interaction, uh, children would say to each other, we need to go to the peace table. Then off they'd go, they'd slap their hand on the table and the discussion would begin. I didn't like it when you took my toy. But I had it first and off they would go. And at a very young age, these three and four-year-olds were learning how to make peace. I love that image of the table of peace. We're all given the gift of the table, aren't we? A table where we can sit and talk and laugh and learn. A table to experience grace, to hear each other, to be heard. It's at the heart of our faith. When we gather for communion each mother, month, we sit at the table of God's grace, don't we? This unmerited love that we receive simply because we're human and we're God's precious children. And it's a table of God's peace for us and from it we can go out and be God's peacemakers. Our scripture today is the story of an experience that two of the followers of Jesus had, unnamed people. I, I think they were a married couple. We don't know for sure, but they lived together. It, it, there was an experience that they had with Jesus on the day he rose from the dead, on that first Easter Sunday. They were walking home from Jerusalem when another person came up and started to walk with them. They talked about what had been happening in Jerusalem, the death of Jesus. And so this unman, unknown man, this third person, talked with them about who Jesus was, who he had been for the Jewish people, and the couple invited the stranger to come home with them and eat dinner. They invited him to bless the bread, and he did. And we're told that when he broke the bread to share it with them, they recognized who he was, Jesus, the risen Lord. It's the table of peace where they experience God's grace. The table of peace is that place where we come together, where we share all kinds of food, perhaps literal food, but, but the food of, of the gift of listening, of nourishment that's spiritual and social. We laugh together. Sometimes we teach our children how to eat with company we listen to each other. We invite people to tell what's going on in their lives. We feed our bodies and souls. It's an old, old tradition that's desperately needed in our world today. Peacemaking begins in our homes when people, very small people, experience respect, when they trust that their voices will be heard and they're taught how to express themselves. And that important work goes out into our communities and the world. To take our neighbor's needs seriously. To love our neighbors as ourselves. is to make peace. 
And we all know that we live in a world that desperately needs peace. The dogs of war are barking. Will it be Iran? Will it be North Korea? We live in communities that desperately need peace. Jesus lamented over Jerusalem because the people did not know the things that make for peace. But you know what? Jesus spent his whole ministry teaching us how to do just that. He gives us the tools. And so on this Memorial Day, let's not simply grieve the past. Let's look at the present and the future and ask ourselves, what positive steps are we taking to make peace? Maybe in your family this week, you need to have a family meal. Maybe there's just one of you or two of you, but you know what? You can invite some friends in. Maybe this week, you can call somebody and say, let's go for coffee. I want to I hear how your life is going. There's power in simply listening to other people. This past week, I... I talked with a neighbor who I hadn't seen for a while and, and you know how it goes, you say, how are you doing? And she looked at me with that look on her face and you think, uh-oh, that might not have been the right question to ask. And she said, my son tried to commit suicide. And we began a discussion. And it's a very long story. But police were called, guns were involved, there was a standoff, the police left. She walked into the, her son's house as he sat in the kitchen with a gun. And she said, I didn't know what to do. So you know what I did? I said, I don't know. She said, I made bacon. She said, I, I really did not know what to do. But I know he likes bacon. So she got the bacon out and she started frying it. And then she got out the lettuce and the tomato and she made him a sandwich and he put the gun down and they began to talk. And he's not well yet, but he's alive and he's better. There's power at the table. There's power when we sit down with each other. How will you engage our community this week or this month. We have so many opportunities right here if you don't know what to do. This Saturday, we need you at Chateau de Mont. Next week, we need you at Jesus and Me. Next week, we need you as we begin to feed our neighbors. There's lots and lots of ways for you to engage. Jesus tells us, that the people who make peace are the children of God. Be that child this week. Amen.